Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. I want to set the platform for what I think uh, that God wants to do this morning. And I'm, I wanted to share an illustration with you. And every illustration has its limitations, so just come with me on the journey. But yesterday we went to the Margaret Mahi playground. Uh, we were catching up with some friends, uh, and it's awesome when you got a little one. It's like a whole new world, you know, opens up, and you um, go and explore places. And they have this uh, thing at the Margaret Mahi Playground. I like to say it's a bit like a surfboard. It's kind of a wiggly, like a seesaw, but it's not for sitting down on. And so what it is is you kind of stand on one end, and then, you you know, you get to a certain point, and then it, the to, you know, the weight transfers and then it falls down on the other side. And so there's kind of this balance thing that you can do. So, you know, I, I've discovered that with maybe with parenthood or with age, I've become more cautious. Uh, maybe pregnancy also does that to you, kind of a bit more aware. And so I was standing there thinking, I just don't think that this is a great idea for me anymore. But but the concept, you know, when when I put Josh on there, kind of holding him, you know, he, he walked up and then slowly he's not very heavy, so it takes a little while for his weight to kind of transfer enough further out from the lever, you know, thinking back to all those physics things that you learned in seventh form or whatever. You get to the point and then there's that kind of tipping point and the weight transfers and all of a sudden, poof, you come down on the other side, right? And that's why it's great as a parent to be holding your child's hand because when they're under two, you know, it can be a moment of triumph or disaster. Uh, <laughs> but what was cool, you know, I, I feel like today what God wants to do, you know, for some of us it's felt like we're on one side and the weight has just been in a battle of just things have been hard work and it's felt like we're just looking at this kind of uphill climb and it just felt like actually there's, we, you know, no matter what we're doing, we kind of can't, Things just don't seem to be shifting. But I felt like God was saying that today is a day of, of like a tipping point, a transition that will happen. And that actually when we get to that point, all of a sudden we'll find ourselves on the other side in a place where it will be like, wow, actually there's something different. Something has shifted. God has transitioned. There's been a weight transfer. And now I'm seeing things on, a, on the other side. And I'm, I'm excited because I know you know, in our lives, we're believing for things. We're believing for stuff to happen. The fast is a time where we just put our requests again before God and say, Lord, we're believing for shift. We're believing for change. We're believing uh, that people will come to know you, that actually people who've been on one side and it's looked like they're just not transferring. There's nothing shifting in their life, that actually a tipping point will come where God will transition them into a phase of relationship, that actually something significant will shift. And it might take a little while, but actually there's a moment where it happens. And I believe that this week is a week where those moments are going to happen, where we're going to see God do things. So that's kind of where we're going. So stick with me today because it's going to be good. Yeah? Yeah? Cool. Have you ever had a moment where you feel like uh, everything's kind of going wrong? Who's had moments like that all of a sudden? You know, you th think things are great, and then all of a sudden it kind of feels like maybe it tips in the opposite direction, like things are going well, and then all of a sudden, poof, you're on the other side, and you kind of found yourself on the ground and thinking, this is not how I intended things to be. Um, you know, I, I wasn't born uh, in 
1970, but I've heard about the Apollo mission, Apollo 13. Who's heard about the mission uh, to the moon? They were going Apollo 13. You may not have heard it, or you may not have been alive in 1970, but they had this one statement that's become very famous, and they said, Houston, we have a problem. Who's heard this? Every, I think, who ever watched an American movie, you've probably heard that term. But what happened in this mission is that they were going to the moon, uh, and things were going well, uh, and, and they'd kind of been going for, I think, about 56 hours. They'd been traveling out to the moon, and all of a sudden, there was just this ginormous explosion, uh, a massive explosion, and uh, the guy from NASA uh, said that at one time, all at one time, it was like a monstrous failure, complete failure. Uh, so all of a sudden, they're heading out to the moon. Uh, it's going well. Things are happy. The launch was good. And, and they get to this point where they're basically in a fight for their survival. Everything just, just like goes wrong. And there's this massive explosion. And, you know, I, I want to kind of share a little bit later what happens if you don't know. Uh, but really, you know, the, there was kind of a cascade of failures that happened throughout the aircraft, and they realized, man, we're in, we're in a desperate situation here. Actually, uh, this could be our lives. We could be stuck out in space, or we could uh, be stranded. You know, there's not a way uh, necessarily to be able to come back from that. Uh, and so we're thinking, man, things were going well in our lives, and maybe you felt like that. Sometimes there's just a cascade of things or an explosion that is like feels like, oh my goodness, this is just totally not what I was planning for. And, you know, I think what's cool is that we, when we read the Word of God, we can relate to the people in the Word of God. That things happen in it, and that they're not people that are outside of our ability to be able to connect. Actually, they're just genuine, everyday people who are going about their lives and, and you know, dealing with the situation of the time that they were in. And uh, when we think about the people and the disciples and the believers around the time of Jesus, just to give you a little bit of context about them, but, you know, there'd been a period where they were awaiting a Messiah, and they were under oppression from the Roman Empire, uh, and things weren't going very well. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist comes, and he's saying, hey, this coming Messiah is coming, he's coming, you know, and they start to get excited that all of a sudden, things could shift, there could be something different. You know, a savior is going to be born to us. And, you know, and I imagine myself in that situation, you kind of start to imagine the way that things will happen. You know, you think, oh, he'll be this mighty warrior who somehow kind of defeat the Roman Empire. And that's what they thought was going to happen. They thought that this, this kingdom would be established, that finally the kingdom that had been spoken about in the Old Testament that they knew about was going to be established on the earth, and they were going to be a part of it. And it was going to be exciting. You know, all of a sudden, the, the man, the oppression that we're under, we're going to be freed from that, and things are going well. And so this is exciting, you know. And they, so they, Jesus comes. And they, he starts to kind of gather people to follow him. So he just gathers everyday people, you know, fishermen and tax collectors and, and the like. So and he's just gathering people and they start to trust him. And they're thinking, you know, wow, actually, this is a man that I can believe in. You know, that what he talks about, it connects with something in my heart. And there's something about what he's saying that's exciting. And I, I want to be a part of it. And, and they believe and understand he's the Messiah. He's this one that was going to come. And, and they, they're like, yeah, okay, I could give my life to this cause. 
I can, I can be a part of this. I can leave what I'm doing and I can follow him. I, I, there's something that, I, you know, I want to be a part of that. And then he starts talking about how he's going to die on the cross. And they're like, hold on. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know what he's talking about. The first time he mentions it, he, he talks about it three times. In Matthew 16, verse 21, he predicts his death. But the disciples don't grasp it because, you know, they think that this Messiah is going to come and before he's going to die, there's got to be this giant, you know, battle or something is going to happen, you know. And you head, imagine what you kind of, we don't, they didn't have Hollywood back then, so, but they knew battles, they knew uh, fights, they knew, wow, something, you know, significant is going to have to happen. And he's saying, oh, well, actually, I'm going to die. And they're like, okay, no, not really sure. This doesn't kind of connect with what we were expecting. And... The second time he says it in Mark uh, 9, it records that they didn't understand what he was saying, and so they kind of ask him what he means. You know, maybe the first time they were a bit shocked, and then the second time they're like, okay, Jesus, what did you mean? You know, and he explains to them that, that he's going to be crucified. And, and, you know, if you were a believer and you put yourself in that position and you're thinking that the Savior of the world has come, and then all of a sudden... He's crucified on the cross. What that just seems like a, a par- like massive catastrophe. I, d- I don't know if, if you put yourself in that situation, but all of a sudden, the one who would save us is now crucified on a cross, and he's no longer here. We don't have him. He's died. What's going to happen now? How how was this great Messiah? Maybe we were wrong. Maybe he wasn't the person that we thought. Maybe this wasn't going to happen. And, and they're starting to panic because they're thinking, oh, man, well, this just didn't work out as I was expecting. You know, this is not what was going to plan. And, and it seems like an apparent catastrophe. You know, that actually the thing, that the one who was supposed to save them is crucified. But what's amazing is that what seemed like the ultimate defeat was actually the greatest triumph of all time. That as Jesus died, he was raised from the dead, and and he was seated and he ushered in the kingdom of heaven, and that actually the the victory that they thought wasn't a victory of power and might and of a military battle, but actually the victory of God over Satan, the the death uh, and resurrection of Jesus ushered in uh, the greatest triumph of all time, and that's what we're a part of. You know, this is our history, our legacy is this apparent triumph and and ultimate triumph. And, you know, for us, I think there's times when we go through trials and it may seem like they end in defeat. Have you ever been a, a part of a situation and it just felt like that just did not turn out as I was expecting? Yeah, if that's been you, just raise your hand. See, the crucifixion of Jesus actually for us shows that God can be glorified in what seems like apparent defeat. This is the moment of Jesus' greatest triumph. And I love that the Bible is, is so full of real people 
people who I can connect with, people when I read their trials, though their, their landscape is different, though the, the culture and the time is different, actually what's happening in their lives I can relate to. You know that there's things going on where I think, man, actually, there's, I can take encouragement from what I read because, hey, I'm not that different to them. And, you know, there's times when we too will face trials. Maybe, maybe we're in trials right now. You know, where things that we're believing for and believing for and believing for, they just don't seem to happen. And, and maybe the complete opposite happens to how we're expecting and maybe we've decided, hey, I'm, I'm choosing to step out in faith. I'm choosing to trust God. And it just kind of doesn't work. It just doesn't seem to work or, or uh, you know, that it just gets harder. See, I think we can draw encouragement from the Bible because actually God has given us examples of people where he's showing us, hey, maybe that was the situation, but look what I did there. I've changed it around, I've turned it around, and I can do the same for you. And so this morning, I wanted to share three thoughts, just to bring us encouragement, things I think we can do in a season where it feels like there's lots of trials happening in our life. The first one is this, we can choose to believe again. When something seems impossible, over time, it's easy to let disappointment rob us of our faith. You know, when something happens initially, we can kind of, ha- we have faith for it and, and we're believing and then uh, and maybe over time that thing kind of keeps happening and we're thinking, oh, actually, okay, this is just not working out quite as I was hoping and, and it robs us of our faith. And the temptation is to limit our faith to our circumstances or our experience. You know, we've experienced once and we, and we got disappointed and we think, okay, actually, well, maybe God didn't want to do that. Maybe God doesn't love me. You know, maybe, maybe I did something. Maybe there's just, you know, oh, it, maybe it works for other people, but it doesn't work for me. You know, and sometimes we can limit what we look at down to the level of our experience. But actually, I, I believe that we're called to believe again. You know that it's a choice to decide, hey, I'm going to keep having faith even if I see something that is not what I'm expecting. I am going to choose to believe again. And there's a story of a woman in 1 Samuel. And man, she's inspirational to me because I think, wow, like the, the difficulty of her situation inspires me and just the way that she comes through. And uh, it's found in uh, 1 Samuel, right at the start of 1 Samuel in verses 1 to 20. So it's a story of Hannah. Now the book is about Samuel, who's a prophet, and uh, Hannah is um, Samuel's mum, but we'll get there. So uh, Hannah's married to a man named Elkanah, and he's got two wives. So he's got Hannah, uh, and then he's got this other wife called Penaniah. Uh, and Penaniah, she, she has children, but Hannah can't have any children. She seems barren. It's just things aren't working. And, you know, uh, her husband loves her, but she just can't have children. Uh, and every year they go uh, to this place called Shiloh and they give offerings. They give offerings uh, and sacrifices to God. But, uh, and, and what happens is the husband, Elkanah, okay, he gives out portions depending on how many children you have. And so kind of there's this just moment of reminder for Hannah every year that, hey, actually, I'm barren and it's just me. And so I only kind of have one portion with which to offer uh, a sacrifice to God. Uh, and, you know, she's loved by her husband, uh, but she can't have children. 
It's just not happening. And, and uh, the worst part, well, one of the hardest parts is that Penaniah, the other wife, like totally rubs it in her face. She's like, ooh, taunts her kind of, you know, and, and she, she's overcome by grief. She, you know, she's in a position where she's constantly reminded of the fact that somebody else has a different outcome to her. She's living in the same house with somebody else's children. Uh, but actually, uh, and the woman taught her, but despite years going by with no children, Hannah makes a decision that I'm not going to let my circumstances dictate what I'm believing for in the future. And she comes to a point in 1 Samuel 9, uh, it's 1 Samuel 1 verse 9, says this, uh, Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Uh, Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. She made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for your, his entire lifetime. And a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Uh, seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought that she'd been drinking. Must you come here drunk? He demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I'm very discouraged and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. Now, in the Old Testament, it's, to be childless is considered a failure. As a woman, to, to not be able to have children is it's an embarrassment to your husband that actually you couldn't do it. And, and they relied on their children to support them in old age. So it was a really difficult situation if, as a woman, you couldn't have children. But Hannah, you know, the, despite her encouragement, she, uh, discouragement, she prays honestly to God. She says to him, she's real about her disappointments and her challenges. She's real about the struggle that's going on in her life. And, uh, you know, she suffers cruel taunting from Ben and I. She's rubbing it in her face. You know, that even, you know, her husband, though he loves her, he can't solve the problem. And, and her motives are misunderstood by the priest. He thinks that she's drunk when she's come to pray. And it would have been easy in those situations to, to retaliate or to give up hope. But, you know, she's like, okay, I'm going to bring my problem honestly before God. I'm going to lay it down before him and I'm going to choose to believe and I'm going to decide, I'm going to leave my problem with the Lord. That actually I'm giving it to him and, and I'm trusting that something will shift. You know, for each of us, I think in our lives, there are times when we can suffer barrenness. You know, it might not necessarily be a barrenness in that we can't have children, but when nothing comes to birth in our work and 
our service and our relationships, when, when we're kind of believing for something to happen and it just doesn't seem to be working. And it's difficult to pray in faith when we feel are so ineffective. But see, Hannah discovers that prayer opens the way for God to work. Now, we know that. That's why we pray. You know, we believe God, we connect with him, and we open the way for God to work. You know, I wanted to share a little bit personally with, uh, with you this morning because uh, for something I'm believing for this Daniel fast or this fast, um, I shared it a little bit at the 5 p.m. last week, but last year, Caleb and I, we're believing for our cousin. Uh, my cousin was diagnosed with melanoma. Um, we're believing that he would be healed from melanoma. So we were uh, praying and fasting that there would just be a change. Uh, and a, a, about a month after we finished the Daniel fast, there was just uh, a massive uh, change, and he died really suddenly. Uh, he, uh, you know, he went from being relatively well with a young family to all of a sudden uh, had a massive uh, seizure in the night and he died. And it was like a ginormous shock for my family. It was just like, you know, they had a little kid the same age as Josh and just like such a huge shock. And, and I'd, like, I'd had faith, like I'd believed God, you know, I was like believing that, man, it was going to be the thing that would turn their family around and bring them closer to God, that things were happening and all of a sudden... It seemed like there was just this massive defeat. And I don't know how God's going to use that situation in the future to bring about his victory. But, but this year, I'm faced again with a situation where I told you my little nephew is having treatment for leukemia at the moment. And, and like in me... You know, I can settle my faith to my level of experience that actually I believed in the past and something didn't happen. But I made a decision. No, actually, that doesn't have to be the same. That just because I experienced one outcome once in a situation that had a similar name to it, that that actually, that doesn't need to be the same. That I'm having faith to believe that for my nephew, that the transition, that what's going to happen, what God's going to do in this time is going to be completely different, that he's going to be completely healed, that, you know, in years to come, he'll be able to glorify God and, and the testimony and the story of his life. But it's a decision to choose to believe again. You know, sometimes we're believing for people. We've prayed and prayed and prayed every year. We're praying for that person, praying for change. And all of a sudden, it kind of feels like they're moving further away from God. You know, maybe the fast is a decision to say, God, actually, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to go hard in this week and then believe from here that actually that person will come to know you. That even though the outcome of what I'm seeing in the, in the natural is just month after month, no change, that something's going to shift, that something's going to change, that that person is going to come back into a relationship with you. Or, or maybe it's a situation Maybe you feel that what you're looking at feels like it's going to just end in defeat. Maybe you're staring defeat right in the face right now. But actually believing that, hey, that God is going to bring about the greatest victory, that the triumph uh, of, of, of who and what he wants to do in you is going to be incredible. See, each month for Hannah, it would have been a reminder of the fact uh, that things weren't as she was hoping for. Every month, you know, that, that it would just, just been like that, oh, oh man, okay, 
I hoped that this would happen, but no changes come. I'm not yet pregnant. This is not happening. But actually, you know, even despite those moments, she doesn't let that disappointment rob her of belief for the future. That she's choosing to say, you know, that she was persistent and honest before God, and God rewards her. And what's cool is, I mean, it's an incredible story. And she makes an agreement with God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And I just, like, I'm blown away as a parent that you could give back your child. And, but she does it, and, and Samuel goes on to be an incredible leader and prophet in the Old Testament. And she has other children as well. It's amazing. She has uh, two more sons and three more daughters, or I think it's three more sons or two more daughters. But actually, you know, for, for her, what was, seemed like it was impossible, God turned it around. And for us, you know, today I believe that some of us are facing trials where it feels like it's going to be defeat. Uh, but actually, God wants to turn things around. And what I love is, is as a community that we're here to bring faith together and stand with one another. We were talking in my e-group this week about the importance and the power of coming together in faith to believe. Because sometimes we just got to the point where you're like, I just don't have it in me. I, I feel like I've just got so uh, low and things just aren't happening that actually I need someone to come alongside and add their faith to mine. And that's what being a part of a family is about. That's what being honest in an e-group is about or coming down at the end of the service, we'd love to pray for people, you know, to stand together and believe uh, for a shift. But, you know, decision to choose, okay, God, I'm going to open my heart again to believe again. I'm going to choose to believe in you. So that's the, the first one, friend facing trials, choosing to believe. The second is this, I'm going to choose to sow seeds. If you think about the crop wheat, right, there's two ways that you can things you can do with it. You can ground it up and you can make it into flour. You get the seeds, you ground it up, you make it into flour. Or you plant those seeds in the ground and you get more. And it's, it's tempting, you know, that the farmers, they plant seeds. This may be a revelation to you, if it is. Um, it's good you've learned this. That farmers come and they plant seeds with the intention that they'll get a harvest. Like, they don't just do all the work of planting seeds with the thought that nothing will grow there. Yeah, that would just be a giant waste of time. You know, but for us, we're, we're planting seeds that God has given us seeds. And in order to reap a harvest, you have to sow. You have to do the work of sowing. You have to plant seeds and you have to wait and give it time for it to grow. You have to tend it. You have to do things with it. And, and when you plant an apple tree or an apple seed, you don't expect to get a grapefruit, right? It's not rocket science, you know. <laughs> when you plant something, you expect to get what you've planted. Uh, but for us, you know, it can be easy in challenging seasons to hold on to the seeds because we're worried that if we plant them, there's going to be a period where we won't have anything. Right, So because planting them requires actually giving them away, uh, taking them outside of our control, uh, because in the short term, when we plant them, we don't have them. But the thing is, if we hold on to the seeds and we grind it up and we choose to eat those seeds, then actually we don't have anything for the future because we've eaten in the short term what we needed in the long term. And I, I wonder for us, you know, in seasons of trial, what's the temptation? 
Because I know that there have been moments in my life where I've thought, oh, maybe, maybe it's just easier to, to not sow those things. Maybe, maybe right now I just need to kind of look after this where I'm at right now. But actually, uh, where I'm believing for the things that I want to harvest in the future, I have to be planting and sowing seeds now to get there. And in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, it says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scripture says, they shared freely and gave generously to the poor. The good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. You know, I'm inspired when I see pictures of families in, in, in other countries where, uh, where things are, you know, are hard for them. And they go through this period where, uh, you know, they, they get given aid. And what happens is rather than keeping the whole lot for themselves, they share it out amongst other people and they realize hey actually I'm blessed so I can pass it on to other people and and I rem- I'm remembering from physics at school Isaac Newton he had this the laws of motion yeah we've been talking a little bit about physics who did physics at school who remembers everyone kind of did general science talk about laws of motion so the third law of motion is that each action has an equal and opposite reaction yeah I'll take you back to high school days and Pastor Mark Nash, he shares this verse that says, there were this thought, it says, physical action results in a spiritual reaction. That physical action results in a spiritual reaction. And we understand this concept in so many things in our walk with God. See, when we praise and worship, it isn't necessarily because that's how we like to do it, moving and dancing, but we understand that actually... Our praise and worship releases joy. That what it does is it is, uh, signifies surrender. As we raise our hands, we're saying, God, I'm giving you everything. I'm surrendering my life to you. And, and as we do that, you know, as we move, as we do those things, the, the spiritual reaction is, is an atmosphere of breakthrough. It's an atmosphere of freedom. Maybe you've come in and you've thought, wow, it just feels different in here. There's something in me that just feels free that actually maybe there's something about this, a breakthrough on my life, those things. And that's because we've made a decision. Hey, we're going to praise you with all we've got, God. We're going to choose to do that. And that creates an atmosphere. And what's awesome is that we can all benefit from that. But it's a decision to do a physical action that, you know, you think, oh, what's so important about raising our hands? But it's just a decision, man, I'm going to do something, God, to believe that actually what's going to happen is a spiritual shift, a change. Uh, something's going to be different. You know, we're fasting and praying at the moment. That the physical action of going without food and prayer in itself is just, you know, if it was nothing without God, it would just be starving yourself or, or dieting. But actually, we believe that the physical action releases a spiritual reaction, that something's going to happen. 
We read in Daniel 10, verse 12 to 14, it says uh, this. So the Daniel who kind of was the one with the Daniel fast, so this is where it comes from. He's, uh, he's in a foreign country and he's uh, under a leader's uh, kind of observation. And he says, relax, uh, Daniel, this is God talking. And he continued, don't be afraid. Uh, so from the moment you decided to humble yourself to receive understanding, your prayer was heard and I set out to come to you. But I was waylaid by the angel prince of the kingdom of Persia and was delayed for a good three weeks. So that's where we get the three weeks of the Daniel fast. But then Daniel, one of the chief angel princes, intervened to help me. I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And now I'm here to help you understand what will eventually happen to your people. The vision has to do with what's ahead. See, what I love about that verse, you know, God hears his prayers on the first day. You know, God hears our prayers. That actually the things we're praying for, the things we're believing for at the moment, God hears those things. And the second thing is that God responds to his need. You know, he sends and there's a fight with the angels and in the 21 days at the end, the prince uh, comes to him and says, I was waylaid because of this battle that was going on in the spiritual world and I'm here. But that God responded to the need that he had. And, you know, I wonder for us what seeds we can be planting now which will reap a harvest in the future. What are we planting? Are we sowing good seeds that will produce what we want in life? Are there areas where we're eating the seed because of trial rather than planting the seed? I don't want this to be heavy, but, you know, a good challenge to think, hey, actually, should I be sowing maybe short-term kind of going without what I'm expecting in order to gain something greater long-term? Are there places where we're sowing on unfruitful ground? It's easy to sow your time and things that are unfruitful. <laughs> you know, I'm giving up social media for three weeks, and it's good to realize that sometimes my time sowing in that soil is not fruitful, right? <laughs> Maybe it's sowing into relationships that you just know, man, they're not good for me anymore. That actually there's things I need to change because, you know, God hears our prayer. And as we make decisions, we're going to choose, despite the trial and the challenge that I'm in, that actually I'm believing that things are going to shift, that something's going to be different. I love when you hear the story of the spacecraft in the end. What happens is, so Apollo 13, it loops around the moon and it uses the gravity of the moon to return to Earth. So it's cool, they all survived, uh, which is amazing. And uh, millions of people followed this drama on television. They watched what happened and, and eventually the capsule splashes down in the Pacific Ocean kind of near Tonga somewhere. Uh, and it's interesting because they wrote this article headed uh, Apollo 13 from disaster to triumph. And the, the reporter said this, although the mission was not a success from a conventional perspective, it was a triumph of engine ingenuity and determination. Jim Lovell, the guy who said, Houston, we have a problem, uh, said it showed the people of the world that even if there was a great catastrophe, it could be turned into a success. 
You know, their trial led to, to ingenuity. They came up with incredible things that were just, they, they basically had to use whatever they had in the spacecraft that wasn't broken. And they managed to find a way to get around the moon and come back. And, and that's, that's a, an example and just a without God. And I think in our lives, you know, maybe there's trials that we're looking at and we're thinking, God, I, I've I believed in the past, but actually I didn't see things come to pass. And, and I, I don't know. I don't know how things will be different, but today's got to be a day. Something's got to shift in my life. Well, I'm believing that today will be your day. And what I'd love to do is invite you to come and we'd be able to pray with you. And we're going to sing some worship songs together. But what we'd do in that moment is say, God, I'm believing that today is a tipping point. I'm believing that today is the day where I'm going to see that actually what felt like defeat is actually going to be your greatest triumph. I'm going to be able to testify of your goodness, Lord. You know, maybe it's for you a challenge and, and what God wants to, to do in you is, is show you that actually I'm going to release something completely different. That maybe the trials that you're in right now will reveal that actually, you know, there's something, a different way of looking at it, a different way of thinking, a, a way of making a decision. God, I'm not going to hold on to the things that I have. I'm not going to gather just what I feel like I've got left. I'm going to trust you and sow into good soil because, you know, we're believing that actually we'll reap a harvest uh, because of what we've planted, what we sow. And what's incredible in the kingdom is that, you know, when we sow uh, in the natural, we know what we can expect. If you sow this much, that's what you can get. But in the kingdom, it's just incredible when we sow into the things of God, when we sow our time and the things He wants, the return is supernatural. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 